Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Hey everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. We're here today for uh, Lucifer Season 2, Episode 8, Trip to Stabby Town, which is just like, I just love that title. It's a, it's a fun title. It's just like, it's a good, it's a good title. Um, and again, like there's a lot to talk about. We get back to our main arc in a big way. Um, but for me, again, the center of this is not that main arc. The center of this is <laughs> people keep eating Dan's yogurt. <laughs> pudding. <laughs> it's pudding. Sorry. I was also watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine the other day, so it yeah. blended together. Um, so that, <laughs> not to mention, um, some of our other subplots. So, uh, what what uh where, what did you guys most connect with, to in the in this episode? Was it like the big arcing stuff, or was it like the details? Because for me, it's all about the details. Oh, it was the details for me. The pudding. If you didn't mention the pudding, I was going to because I, I don't know if this is like a harbinger of things to come for Dan. But that moment when he had the knife and Kevin Alejandro got to do the crazy eyes and like the like jerky swinging. Um, building up to the, um, and you keep eating my pudding was, that was by far my favorite Dan moment of the series so far, even better than the improv. So, um, I don't know if they finally figured out like nice guy who's pretty dorky with like maybe a vat of pretty harmless, recognizable, understandable rage. I, I don't, I don't know what it was, but I loved it. Um, so I agree. Details. Uh, Noel, how about you? Yeah, it's all in the details with this episode. I agree. Um, the Dan stuff is just, it's just such a smart choice to have him grab the knife. Really, it is. It's just a ridiculously smart choice uh, because of what it really pays off from the previous episode in terms of with Lucifer following him and trying to become the Dan. And layering in that tension of the stolen labeled, they were labeled. <laughs> That's the best part of it. Like, how am I yeah. supposed to know? It was just, it was labeled. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Was just really, really just kind of perfect. And also just the fact that even through it, Lucifer is able to get through to him is also sort of like my favorite thing about it of the, your wedding, your wedding, your marriage was already sort of on the rocks anyway, before I showed up, you were already a cop. Palmetto. (laughs) And I I just feel like it was a really good acknowledgement of the show going like, yes, we, we, we had this conception of a character that was not working. So we're fixing it. Hopefully we're slowly trying to fix it. And I think that that whole scene is a really good pivot point, hopefully, like Allison was saying, for Dan going forward. Um, But this season has done just generally pretty solid work on slowly providing scaffolding for rehabilitation for that character. Um, So as opposed to complete, (laughs) don't pay attention to that other Dan. (laughs) That Dan didn't exist. This 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 is the canon Dan. Um, but I think that they've done a really good job. And I think that scene was also just really, really important for his character development and his relationship with Lucifer, even if he doesn't remember anything that happened, apparently, which makes me a little bit sad because (laughs) I really want him to start yelling. It was labeled at Lucifer (laughs) every week in the same intensity. Like Kevin Alejandro had to work so hard to hit that note 
like just practiced it for hours, I really hope. <laughs> well, it, again, because it's, it's not just, I mean, the sense I get is that he doesn't remember the moment. He doesn't remember it happening, but the resonance of it still is there kind of a thing, you sure. know? That's how I take that's what I take away from it. But um and it, it's in this episode, it's also in the previous episode where they yes, they're doing a lot of really fun stuff with Dan and they're letting him like they're letting him be lost. They're acknowledging the issues that, that the characters had, and they're connecting it in with this theme for the show of uh, self-reflection and growth and trying to be a better person and examining who you are and your choices, taking responsibility for them, and then deciding how you want to shape yourself moving forward, you know, which has been obviously a series long thread with, with Lucifer and Dr. Linda, but they're, you know, to take that same, uh, I approach for Dan and be like, yeah, I made mistakes. I, you know, obviously Chloe left me for a reason that we still don't know <laughs> if there is any specifics about, but it was before the show. So, so having, that be how they approach the rewrite of the character to better suit the show that it is now. And also Kevin Alejandro is really smart and I, I really appreciate it. But I also really appreciate in this episode and the previous one that they acknowledge all of these issues and they play, like they let Alejandro play comedy and make Dan, you know, the butt of the joke are ridiculous at times, but they also make sure to have him stand up for himself and they give him some wins. So having him be, be able to fight off the lure of the knife a bit is a big thing because lots of other people can't. Um, and in the, you even see by the end of the episode that it, it could, it seems like it's having a, at least somewhat of an impact on Lucifer even. So yeah. that's, that really does a lot to give, it gives Dan a win, even if he can't remember it. It gives Dan a win for the audience, just like in the previous episode when he stands up for himself and says, no, it's it's Dan or Detective Espinosa. You know, it's important to have those little wins for him, even if, like, I was watching the episode with uh, and, and uh, reflecting as I was watching it, it was like, oh, do we think this is, they've turned a corner? And the first thing, Dan, the first thing Lucifer says to Dan is to call him Detective Douche. And so I'm just like, nope, still Lucifer. <laughs> so, you know, I don't anticipate a big change there. But um, yeah, I, I just really like the material that they give him and Alejandro nails it. I think that that moment where Lucifer figures out that Dan is able to resist the lure of the knife is such a big one because it reminds me a lot of, <laughs> of all things in uh, the Avengers age of Ultron, when it looks like Captain America is going to be able to pick up um, Mjolnir Thor's hammer. No, nobody, just me. Yeah. No, um, no, I know exactly what you're okay, talking about. Cool. Evans nailed that moment. <laughs> yeah. So good. Well, and so did Hemsworth, uh, right? Yeah, and then yeah. It, yeah. Well, both of them. And then it really pays off in the most recent movie. But, um, but I think like the idea that there's some sort of core of who you are, uh, that's removed from everything else, like some kind of inner essence that you can't sort of hide or deny that. And that would be something that Lucifer would respect, right? If what Lucifer values is transparency and honesty and, um, and like goodness, certainly also depravity, but like an inherent goodness, it makes sense that that would be something and that goodness would be connected with strength. It makes sense that that's something that he would respect. I thought, so like the twin moments in that sequence are that he's fighting the knife and the pudding. <laughs> it was labeled. It was great. Great. 
So now oh. we can discuss that Age of Ultron is actually a really good Avengers movie. So let's get into this, Kate and Elsa. No, no. <laughs> oh my God, no, let's no. talk about it. Let's do it. No. Screw Lucifer. <laughs> We're not doing this. Another terrible time. movie. I don't know if you can tell, Allison. Oh. Nolan and I have discussed this many times. But... <laughs> We're going to go back to Lucifer because let's talk about the case of the week. How'd you guys feel about the uh, the yoga studio and then the eventual reveal with the, the, the girdle and, and, and all of that? Did the pivot to the broader comedy with that followed by a rape ap- accusation uh, work for you or was it too dramatic of a swing? nothing of it really worked for me in the first place um like the girdle joke was barely a joke it wasn't particularly funny it wasn't even funny at all i should say and i found that the ways in which they attempted to frame all of that in terms like literally frame all of that was just we're gonna make fat jokes but i'm looking at him going he doesn't seem like he's that out of shape he just seems like he's just a person and it's a really weird sort of thing to watch them try to make me feel like he's supposed to be being mocked for his weight, which is bad in and of itself. But it was just a really weird sort of thing for the show to kind of pivot to that I didn't really appreciate. Um, and then on top of that, then that pivot to the rape stuff just felt they laid the groundwork for it because they had established he had a history of this kind of stuff. Um, but it's still just kind of, it was a little too scattered overall. Um, so it just, it didn't click for me really, really well. Uh, though as Marcus very wisely points out, um, it does lead to maze with pop tarts and that was very good. And it also (laughs) led to Lucifer opening a thing of pop tarts, which is also very good. Um, so that in of it, it's sort of like good fruit from a very poisonous tree. <laughs> Sugar Allison, how did you feel? I feel similarly, um, but I think it's also a poisonous, good fruit from a poisonous tree and a poisonous tree from what was probably decent soil. Uh-huh. Um, in that I think that there's, it would be really interesting to watch Lucifer tell a story about like the really gross um, wellness capitalism, you know what I mean? Like the hypocrisy that, uh, that flows through a lot of that particular industry in terms of like what you choose to celebrate and how prohibitively expensive it can be, um, how it tends to target insecurities and feelings of insufficiency and promises some sort of ideal of health and happiness that tends to come along with physical beauty that doesn't actually exist. Um, and certainly a guy, like, I feel like it could have been one of two things as long as you also cut the fat jokes because the, the fat jokes are obviously coming from this guy is a total hypocrite, right? So there's the, this guy is a hypocrite story and there's the, this guy is a rapist story. And I'm not sure that those stories can both be told at the same time, especially when there's also the girdle reveal, right? Like I'm, I'm interested in both of those as a jumping off but I don't know that it would really be feasible to have them work both together, especially in this show where the tonal balance is so tricky already anyway. And usually they're really good about walking that line and this time it just didn't work for me. Something that I did really uh, enjoy about that scene though was the makeup for Jensen, uh, Glory or whatever his name was, because his face looks so artificially uh, 
like chiseled right mm-hmm. like he'd had quite yeah. a bit of work done um to have that and so then with the girdle reveal it's like oh oh that's why so like like because it, it, it was not like a thing that was consistent through through his body right obviously he was trying to make himself look like he was like a little extra like contouring on the cheeks and the chin to try to look more chiseled um because he's overcompensating and and that there was a detail there that i you know to to I, I that the way that he was made up told me so much about him before we even got to the the girdle reveal that I thought was really funny. So that I, that doesn't speak to the larger issues, uh, which I I absolutely agree with uh, what you were saying, Allison. But just shout out to the to the makeup department because it's just the kind of detail that I I really enjoy on a show like this. Um, but yeah, I, it's just it, there was there was too much for the amount of time they were going to give it, and so yeah, either or not both. I think would have been the right way to go. And because they also wanted to have the, they wanted to have some more comedic beats because there was a lot of heavier stuff that they were playing with. And then that they also didn't necessarily want to fully engage with, particularly with, with mom. And, uh, they're not, they're hoping you don't think too hard about, because they want you to still like mom and not, don't think about all these people who are dead and, and, or have their entire lives ruined because of this thing she did on a whim. Um, so I don't know that they landed that, uh, if only because the performance at the end from the final, like, victim of the knife, uh, who killed, um, Jensen was really, uh, compelling. So I think that's something they didn't, I mean, it was a bit, it was very ambitious, I guess is what I'll say. And I don't know that they pulled that off. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree. I also think if the goal is that we're still supposed to like mom, um, I worry that maybe this episode might've gotten us a little bit off that track because I still like Trisha Helfer, but Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. No, she's straight up incredibly nefarious. Got it. Sociopath. Salute. Understand completely now. Um, especially in the way that both she and DB Woodside played things in this episode. It's, it reads to me like he is, pretty much entirely in her thrall. Like her manipulation has been so successful that his entire perspective has been warped, Um, which makes it like there's, I don't know how I got to this point, but there's a part of me that's like, oh, Amenadiel, my precious lamb. Like I just (laughs) like, like, oh, buddy, no, come back, come back to being conflicted and complicated and messy. Um, You are 100% in the lion's jaws already and you don't even realize it. Um, and obviously the line is Trisha Helfer. So who's amazing. Um, uh, so yeah, I, and there's like, also, this is a topic for another time, but there's something like vaguely draggy about her performance that I'm really enjoying. It's a topic for another time. Um, anyway, so yeah, if, if we're supposed to still like mom, um, I, uh, I mean, I'll be interested to see what the next episode does, but round about the time that she was so cavalier, about everything that happened. And also, you know, was purpo- obviously purposefully misleading her sons and um, and then there's that yoga studio full of bodies. And yeah, it was a lot, that's a, a high wall for me to climb, I think. No, and I, I don't think that there's any reason for us to still like mom at this point. Um, I, the char- charisma of um, Helfer aside, I think that everything that she's been demonstrating from manipulating him in a deal to orchestrating this whole slaughter (laughs) 
um, or attempt at a slaughter since it didn't quite meet her expectations <laughs> of eight to 10 people dead by a single knife. Um, that I think that that ship has sailed in terms of we can find her compelling and interesting, but the degree to which we still like her, I think is hopefully at this point approaching nil. Um, and that I think that's fine. Like I, I'm okay with that as like an audience member of the fact that our big bad is as sort of enmeshed in the family dynamics as she, as she is presents more complications and more plot threads from them play out than sort of a standard villain removed from the hero's protagonist sort of situation that I I think provides them with a lot of story options that they can continue to play. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. And yeah, yeah. And yes, no, I do want to talk about, I do want to think about drag more in terms of Helfer's performance because it makes a lot of sense but I want to think about it some more. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely right. performative femininity, right? Yeah. And this, because mom is like this other being that is in Tr- Trisha Helfer's body, <laughs> in Charlotte's body, um, and wielding the power that comes with that physical form in, you know, in that, you know, community and in, in, the circles that she's running in. And so in American society or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely elements there that I think are really interesting. And I would love to have that be a future topic that we check back in with. Um, I think for mom, it's maybe likable is the wrong word. I think we're supposed to still be invested in her and be able to relate to her and where she's coming from and, and understand her thought process and not just be, I think they don't want us to have written her off, but Mm. So far. I mean, I think that's why they get, I mean, also Helfer's is just very compelling, but that's why they're giving her these like, you know, these other threads that she's playing with. And she's obviously manipulating, you know, everything, which is why you're like, Uriel, you, you were right. We, you know, you can totally see it. Um, but, um, and there's, you know, obviously where Amanda deals at. I remember because I started watching the show with my younger older brother and we watched like several episodes from season one. And then I was, then I kept watching it and I was talking to him about it later. And I was in like season three, season four. And he's like, Oh yeah. So, uh, Oh, is that, is the villain still on the show? And I was like, who he's like, you know, like the big, the big black guy. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, he's villain. Oh, I just would never, I forgot. And at the beginning he is like, yeah, no, he's just, he's our special little lamb. We, we like him at a deal. And, and the, the look change, like when he's like wearing the hat and like the, like the, just the casual wear, you know, it's such a different aesthetic and, and energy f- for the character. I enjoyed him and Maze. Like I enjoyed all the work that they had to do to get Maze on board uh, or that Lucifer had to, to, to do to get him on board, her to get, to get Maze on board, I should say. Um, and the two of them just like searching and everything. Um, yeah, I, I'm enjoying that dynamic and we'll see how long that sticks in the season. But, um, yeah, there's amenities in an interesting place and I look forward to more on that, but I know things, so I won't say more. Alison, thoughts? Does, um, 
do you, does this crisis that he's in where he's being manipulated by his mom and, uh, you know, he's no longer sure about anything. His entire reality has been shaken. Who is he? What is he doing? What is the meaning of life, et cetera, et cetera. Um, does that explain why he's dressing like Dave Matthews? Allison, Allison, I made that same reference to my partner when we were watching the episode yesterday. High of five. Like- <laughs> High five. <laughs> I was just like, why is he dressing like he's following Dave Matthews around? Yeah. 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 I just, it was very, uh, he's like, oh, he's, he's going to a bar because he wants to meet a girl. Um, but he wants to show how laid back he is. You know, it's just like, it's just living life. Just living life. Like that's, he's he's more vulnerable and open guys. Yeah. 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 Um, he, he just wants you to crash into him. Um, <laughs> he just, that's really what he wants. Uh, well, speaking of really wants, was this the episode where Elizabeth quoted the Spice Girls? Or was that last? Yeah. The last one. Okay. <laughs> it was, that was great. great. <laughs> I think he should, yeah. I think they should work in a Spice Girls lyric as dialogue into every episode, just as like an Easter egg for me mm-hmm. per- personally, like for me specifically. I Retroactively, remember. they've gone through, rewritten all the episodes and just, there's a Spice Girls lyric, right. everything. Okay. I just CGI a character in who's just like, this is what happens when two become one. (laughs) Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, Okay. We have to go to the the next corner of the show, which is the same really, but uh, there's no way we're talking about this episode and not talking about Ella and how no disrespect guys. uh, It's very traumatic, but this is definitely going to be a panel at forensics con or whatever, uh, because I love that so very, very much. It was delightful. uh, And I'm also very here for Chloe's insecurity around um, Lucifer's relationship with Ella and the visual gags that they both underscore highlight and draw asterisks around and the ones that, that they more leave alone uh what, what did you guys think of of oliver ellis stuff this this episode yeah i i liked it a good bit i think that they're my one thing with it was it doesn't take that long to whisper you're going to church with me into someone's ear <laughs> um but beyond that i think that there's there's really interesting sort of dynamics starting to form around the two of them that I'm really interested in seeing the show explore uh, going for, forward about like Lucifer's sense of platonic personal space and the ways in which Ella just kind of goes, yeah, no, I don't have that. And neither do you. And I really, I'm really curious to see how that continues to rub the humanity off on him in some ways, since he still responds even to like Trixie doing that in the same sort of way that he kind of responds to Ella doing it, which I think is really interesting. And so seeing that play off is good, but I think that the Chloe insecurities around it are like arguably sort of the best thing that comes out of this episode in terms of this is, she's come to really see Lucifer as a rock in a lot of ways, a constant stabilizing degree of presence. And the ways in which the, that feels precarious for her as she's dealing with the fallout, presumably still dealing with the fallout of the previous episode, and then everything with Dan and their marriage slowly dissolving, like actually dissolving, um, I think is also really something that they can continue to mine in terms of this is what it means to be human and have connections with people is you have to pay attention to them. 
And so I'm really curious to see how that continues to play out. So I like both like corners of that plot and using Ella as sort of a pivot point um, for that was really, really smart of them while still developing his and Lucifer and hers relationship in a way that worked well. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I have to add about that. I agree. I think it's interesting and I'm, you know, who knows how this is going to play out in the future, but it's interesting to watch um, a triangle play out in a way that seems at least at the moment to still be largely platonic, right? You don't often, I mean, I guess legends did it, um, but you don't often see like a platonic triangle. Um, and, and, if it's headed somewhere else, don't tell me because I just want to live in this moment while I can. I think we undervalue stories about intimate friendships and the power that they have um, and the complexity that they have, um, particularly when men are involved. So uh, anytime that there's like, here's a complicated story about a textured relationship that changes and ebbs and flows and occasionally runs into trouble uh and it happens to be platonic i get really excited so um yes i agree i enjoyed it i agree and i also strongly agree that there's not enough platonic uh relationships and very close friendships on tv that's why i get so excited about shows when remember when they used to do this remember when supergirl like the main most important relationship was between the danvers sisters and it was awesome or parenthood when it was at its best, I just remember watching Parenthood and being like, oh, yay, because I have three siblings and I love them and I have good relationships with them. And my sister is my best friend in the world and I don't feel represented on TV hardly ever. Um, so I really appreciate shows that actually value platonic relationships and, and familiar relationships um, outside of drama and suffering. Um, anyways. More on that when it comes up next in the the show. But so tomorrow, ha- apparently, probably. I guess. Well, we gotta <laughs> we gotta talk about Doctor Linda because that's the other yeah, big Linda. part of this episode. And so that's our last big topic we gotta touch in on. Uh, Alison, I'm gonna go to throw to you first. How was this for you know for your the the theory of the previous episode was about her absence. She's very present here. How did they do? Uh, I think, great. I would have paid a lot of money for this to just be a bottle episode, which is a series of sessions that it's just Lucifer showing up at Linda's office and answering questions about where dictators are. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, and her uncle, who is just the worst. And um, like the nature of torment and an angel of death and like all of that stuff, just getting to the moment when she's like, okay, fine. Thank you. I'm focused. I'm ready. Let's talk. Because I think that arc was really well handled and I, it was great of them to acknowledge how much it would take to process all of that um, and all of the things that would happen to you. It was actually very good place in, in a way, right? Like recognizing the sort of human perplexity when confronted with something that enormous um, and what would happen to your mind. So um, I really liked it. I just sort of wish there was more of it, which isn't to say that any of it that was there was unsatisfying. But God, if I like, if I could have just thrown money at Fox and said, "Let this just be the two of them," like, like uh, that fucking episode of The West Wing, six meetings before lunch. It would, if it had just been like six sessions before Wednesday or whatever, mm-hmm. I would have loved it. I would have loved it so much. But I still really liked it. Yeah, I think that I, I really agree in that. Yes, more would have been better in this case, um, or more, more appreciated. 
But I think that the ways in which that they want to demonstrate that processing, I think it works well enough. And it's funny, it's based on a give and take of yes, no, I need you to be my therapist, but I also recognize that I've shattered your worldview in a way. And so I need to provide some accommodation, which is why that scene in which they're flipped in with her, with him, with Lucifer in Linda's chair and Linda on the couch is really delightful, but still speaks to the ways in which Lucifer's position within this dynamic is a little wonky as a result of who he is in a different way. I think that that's really good that they're able to play with that in a way that makes both sense, but also feels honest about the type of patient-therapist relationship that he and Lucifer and Linda have established. Hmm. I liked the physicality uh, and the, just the performances over the course of the episode and how it progressed from just like behind the desk, you know, like in mm-hmm. her chair on the other side of the room, just like kind of terrified while he goes, then there was a sandwich. She's like, you're the devil. You're talking about a sandwich, but also you're the devil. And I'm very focused on that right now. Um, And, and, and just her, I mean, it speaks to her curiosity and her focus and, and like, yeah, I, I, it just was really funny. And going for the hum, humor and the relatability of like, okay, I'm going to need a list. I'm going to need a list of all the famous people that are terrible. I mean, I, and oh, God, you know, I love the line about Trump. Oh, he's definitely going. Uh, <laughs> just very nice. Um, but like, just like the different and, and the, the level to which Lucifer was able to engage in that. And he was getting more frustrated because he actively, you know, is needing help right now. But. I thought it, he, the, again, the progression of it, of him fully understand, like, he is so self-involved. It takes him a second. And then he's like, oh, you're still on the other thing. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. We can do, we, we can do that for a little bit. Um, and until, you know, the, she's finally at a place where she can just shake it off. And I guess it seems like we're going to be more or less back to the regular dynamic in at this point by the end of the episode uh who else is very much anticipating the first uh linda and amenadiel scene <laughs> after all of this uh because that's one that i hope that they give enough time to i don't remember exactly when it happens um but yeah that's another one i'm, I'm gonna need but i liked i just really like the pacing of it and how much time each got and that they really let the they let dr linda speak for the audience yeah, I agree. And I'm eagerly anticipating that scene. I hope it happens in his office, which I hope he's still maintaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, do if anybody is who's hanging out has any other topics or parts of the episode they want us to to mention or or touch on or favorite little moments or anything like that, drop them in the chat. Um otherwise I'm going to throw it to you guys for final thoughts on this episode and what you're hoping for next. So, Noel, so uh, one thing that I do want to point out, and this has been a bit of um, set design that was there since they first went to their, her office, but my partner pointed out that um, Charlotte has pomegranates along her back wall, um, which go ahead and read about pomegranate, pomegranates within mythology, both in terms of like ancient Greek mythology, but also in the fact that some scholars believe that a pomegranate was actually the forbidden fruit. Um, that was eaten in the Garden of Evil. So have fun looking up that stuff and drawing all sorts of fun associations there. Um, but I think that that is 
that was a fun little bit of like set design. It's not necessarily like a peacock bow tie in your pilot episode, but it's pretty <laughs> solid. Um, and as for what I'm kind of hoping for, um, I keep forgetting that we have like 18 episodes this season. So I'm just like, all oh, right, yeah, we're, 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 we're there. We're like, but we're only at the halfway point. <laughs> um, so I'm sort of like trying to figure out like what the pacing is and more so than anything, I'm really actively interested in what's going on with the Menadiel in terms of where he is and his struggle and that kind of a process. And also if he just is going to leave and follow the Dave Matthews band, which is fine. That's a perfectly reasonable <laughs> life choice to make. It's not like the best life choice to make, but it's a decent life choice. There are worse life choices to make, just as <laughs> Malcolm Palmetto. Uh, Marcus says, I thought the opening murder was almost slasher-esque in its depiction, which isn't very common on the show. And that's true. That's a good point. I didn't I didn't love it, um, but I think it's appropriate for what we later find out. I just I don't like when any show does that. Goes for like a slasher theme? or Yeah, because it just feels exploitative, right? Because mm-hmm. there's just, I mean, especially because it tends to happen to women and yeah. it tends to be uh, male perpetrators. And the ca- this camera wasn't leery or anything, but just the, um, there's an element of uh, enjoyment of violence against women that is very common and that I feel like shows in this genre that feature a murder every week or very commonly sh- should be like have a responsibility to be aware of it's just like you know at this point anyone who is a a tv show writer um who's not aware of barrier gaze it's your fault this is a big enough thing it's been around long enough that if you are going to kill off a queer character you need to be very thoughtful with how you do it because of this very well-known trope and issue in in storytelling on tv um so that's why I, you know, that's, I didn't didn't love it uh, here, uh, and I, I I mean it makes sense. Don't get me wrong, it makes sense, but uh, it's just very it's very gruesome and and dark. You know, they don't return to like how much would it mess up the person who was taking a picture and there was a clear shot of someone being stabbed to death in the back of it that they just didn't even notice. Yeah, the um, the photo I thought was particularly weird. Uh, just first of all, it, it, like it just was. This is a, such a stupid complaint in the context of the conversation, but it was so obviously staged, right? Like photographs don't look like that. Like it wouldn't. Like it wouldn't look that way. Um, but also, just I don't know. It was pretty inhuman. Like it was pretty cavalier, and it wasn't loose for being cavalier. It was the show being cavalier. It was strange. Mm-hmm. Which, again, that makes sense for the Blade, right? That it brings out this otherworldly kind of element. But there's, like you said, Elson, there's a difference between that happening for the character and that happening for the show. I don't know. Um, what Did you have any final thoughts or takeaways for this episode, Elson? Not enough Trixie. Um, I have to go Google pomegranates. So that's where my mind's at with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just let... I, I'm ready for more of Dr. Linda trying to help while also contending with the nature of the universe as uh, maybe the only human being on the planet who has absolute confirmation about what it all means. Um, I'm interested in that. Very interested in that. Yeah. Well, our next episode is going to be season two, episode nine, Homewrecker. Uh, So a less exciting title. 
but a fun episode nonetheless. Um, and so we'll be back tomorrow to talk about that one. So thank you guys so much for this chat. Thank you to everyone who's hanging out in the Zoom. So Marcus, Scotty, and Tanya today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you guys. And we'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.